Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. Thanks so much for tuning in on this Wednesday. At 4 o'clock today, the President of the United States will speak. He rarely does that, and he's been off for like two days. I could not believe the stat. I think 28% of the time he's been in Delaware. Why would you fight four separate times to be President of the United States and not stay at the White House? I believe it's free and you have domestic service. They cook for you. Why go home, walk on the beach with a mask on alone with your dog? So uh, Rich Lowry's coming up at the bottom of the hour. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. If the Republicans block cloture on the legislation before us, I will put forward a proposal to change the rules to allow for a talking filibuster on this legislation. If Senate Republicans are going to oppose it, they should not be allowed to sit in their office. They got to come down on the floor and defend their opposition. I don't know if you've met Republicans, but they don't mind talking. Remember the green eggs and ham with Ted Cruz? Nice try, Chuck. Here we go again. The raging left wing will rail and and must prevail. They will not when it comes to massive voting reform and pushing back against the Republicans' push for voting integrity. But Senator Schumer will make his caucus vote on busting the filibuster and his tired voting act. But they are doomed. Why I think he hurts his own party. That story next. Number two. When you have an incident like this, the perception is what we're fighting against. This is a safe system. We're going to make sure New Yorkers feel safe in our subway system. And they don't feel that way now. I don't feel that way when I take the train. Really? Okay, that's interesting. Now, that what a sudden switch by Mayor Eric Adams. Crime crisis. Every major city is seemingly under attack. No, um, no blocks without homeless. No subways secure. When will we decide that we've had enough? Number one. President Biden holds a rare news conference tomorrow to reflect on his first year in office and to look ahead to the second. I say rare because Mr. Biden holds far fewer formal press conferences than did the three presidents who came before him. The president hits the one-year mark with slumping poll numbers and rising frustration within his Democratic Party. Yeah, that's just a little of the negativity that he's getting from his uh, home away from home CNN presidential presser as a reeling White House tries to reset their agenda. What we can expect to hear today, what Joe Biden's team plans to change, and what I would do to change his team. And that's what I do right away. First off, I would say I would not make it seem like a panic situation at 4 o'clock today and say my chief of staff is out, my CDC director is out. Uh, I'm going to make a change as press secretary. Jen Psaki's their MVP. I really believe that. She's done a really good job, but I only think she wants to do it for a year. So you got to get Ron Klain out. Susan Rice has got to go. Anthony Blinken should just hand in his resignation. They've been a disaster. And if that's, I know you can't do it right away because it shows panic. Great enemies. But Ron Klain is the one who led Joe Biden to the left, who calls Jayapal over Manchin. Huge problem. 
not for Democrats, but for the country. First off, at 4 o'clock today, it's not the State of the Union, but this is normally when the State of the Union is. He pushed it to March. So at the press conference, what's he going to say? Sadly, the word is, he says, I've done a bad job not trumpeting my accomplishments. Wow. That's like the Giants saying, we did a bad job not overemphasizing the four wins instead of the 12 losses. So you got the rescue plan, which Larry Summers says helped fuel inflation. The rescue bill, $1.9 trillion. And then you got a bipartisan bill, which I thought was momentum creating. But the same day you got it, you said, I'm not going to pass this without Bill Back Better. And I said, what? what are you talking about? Held on to it for four months. Afghanistan's a victory? Don't think so. So first off, let's look at the promises. Remember, every, anybody's right than, better than Donald Trump. Everybody's better than Donald Trump. Everybody can handle a pandemic. If, if you just do the basic things right, let the adults get into the White House. So let's uh, let's go. Uh, let's take a trip down memory lane. Cut one. If I were president today, the country would be safer and we've seen a lot less violence. If I were president, my language would be less divisive. If I get elected president, free college education for four years of college. You'll actually see your standard of living go up and your costs go down. We're going to make trade. <laughs> trade tragedy it fights for every American worker and every American job. I will stand up to China's trade abuses, and I will invest in the American worker. I'm not going to shut down the economy. I'm not going to shut down the country. I'm going to shut down the virus. Let me see. I'm just writing this down. Shut down the virus. Nope. Uh, You missed two variants by a mile. You forgot to order tests. You got a therapeutic and didn't pre-order anything. Violence. Does anyone in America think violence has gone down? Maybe you didn't go to the memorial, the candlelight uh, vigil for the 40-year-old NYU grad who was thrown in front of a subway. Maybe you missed the 24-year-old who was stabbed to death by a, a, multi, by a 12-time criminal in Los Angeles in broad daylight. Maybe you missed the man who gave a homeless man a jacket, and then the homeless guy wakes up, takes the jacket, throws it, and then robs the guy of his cell phone. Maybe you missed the fact that 12 cities broke homicide records. Maybe you missed the fact that you didn't really help the economy. We got a 40-year high on inflation. So we had a huge problem. I'm trying to think, shut down the virus. Yeah, that didn't work. And what about the supply chain? He told us he saved Christmas and he solved the supply chain in December. And that if we see our bare shelves, that's our problem. But now it's trending on social media. But maybe that's part of the disinformation that he's trying to, uh, to protect us from. So what will he say today? What I hope he will say today is I'm going to make some big changes. And we have to learn to turn the page of the virus. And we're going to learn to live with it. And here's how. We're going to push to get vaccinated. But we're also going to push for therapeutics. And by May, I plan on making therapeutics available to anyone who gets this. And I have a new advanced variant team that's going to identify it in all corners of the world in order to be able to prevent it and have a posture to attack it. Now, these epidemiologists have told us that for the most part, every time there's a variant from here on in, they become less and less lethal but easily spreadable. The good news is, and I hope he says this, that Omicron, which has hit so many people and give them mild symptoms in most cases, has also given you immunity. That's what I hope he says, which means live with it. I want these 
schools opened. I want people back in work for those people on the sidelines. America is fueled through capitalist principles, and we need you off the sideline, not living off your mom's savings account or what you may have accrued during the pandemic. Start working. Start inspiring. But he has lost a lot of people. Here is uh, uh, Jeff Zeleny uh, asking Jen Psaki a tough question. For example, um, for example, a tough question on what's going to happen today. You promised voting rights. Uh, I, you don't need voting reform, but I'm just saying that's what he promised. You promised that you were going to pass Build Back Better. That's not going to happen. You uh, promised to pass criminal justice reform, not that uh, police reform. That's not going to happen. So here's Jeff Zeleny yesterday, cut six. He has uh, long said that he uh, would uh, talk straight from the shoulder, I think is his words, uh, mm-hmm. uh, to be and to give an honest assessment of things. What is your honest assessment of the last year of the Biden administration? Um, and how can the voting rights of failure um, not be seen as some type of a metaphor for these challenges? Well, I would say in terms of voting rights, um, his view is that um, it's never a good idea not to shoot for the moon with what your proposals are and what you're fighting for. Uh, And the alternative is to fight for nothing and to fight for nothing hard. And that uh, sometimes, oftentimes, as you know, you've covered a couple of administrations, you don't get everything done in the first year. Okay, a couple of things. He also swore not to blow up the filibuster because he's a senator, he's institutionalist, but that to do that, he's doing that. Do you know that Mitt Romney who did the bipartisan infrastructure deal, and not a Democrat or Republican would disagree with this statement. If you're going to get something done across the aisle, you begin with Mitt Romney, first or second call. He never got a call about voting legislation. So they would agree on doing some reforms as it relates to the Electoral College vote. So he never even got a call. So don't tell me you're shooting for the moon if you don't even call up the other side. On one hand, you say, I'm not going to blow up the filibuster. On the other, you're not reaching across the aisle, and you know you don't have 60 votes. So at the same time, then you turn around and say, I'm going to blow up the filibuster. And when you can't blow up the filibuster, you don't call the guy that refuses to blow it up since Christmas. That's not shooting for the moon. That's ineptness. And by the way, Jeff Zeleny, uh, would you, what do you think of the last year? What metaphor would be a good challenge? Remember, this is the same guy that asked this hard-hitting question to, Bar- to Barack Obama. During these first 100 days, what has surprised you the most about this office, enchanted you the most about serving in this office, humbled you the most, and troubled you the most? Now, let me write this down. <laughs> yeah, enchanted. I'm, I'm wondering when the last time someone used the word enchanted with Trump. Has that ever happened, period? So you know what they're going to do, uh, part of the strategy? They're go- and by the way, I told you this on my Facebook Live today with Pete. I want you to get on board. I want you to tell me what you want to hear. And I know your country first. So Joe Biden is obviously going up in flames his four years. But if you were to try to turn it around, how would you do it? Knowing there's about 10 Republicans who would probably work with you to pass legislation, not making Puerto Rico a state, D.C. a state, and packing the court, but other things that are reasonable. But he doesn't seem to want to do that because it would tick off AOC, I guess. I don't know. But what they're going to do now, they're going to have him communicate directly to voters more and show his empathy. Really? I don't know. He's mad all the time. And every time there's empathy, he, he, he taps into the tragedy in his life. But we all have tragedy in our lives. I don't know if it equals his. I don't know if it surpasses his. But just to keep on use empathizing, yeah, I lost my wife and I lost my uh, son. It's tragic. But everybody listening to me right now could blow me away with some tragic thing that happened in your life. And people don't want to hear that. So I'm not sure splitting him out to go one-on-one with voters is going to work. And he got elected not because people liked him. They never saw him because he stood in his basement. 
And they, when they did see him, they'd sit in their car and honked. It was like performing in front of Harper Marks. It's nuts. And you've even heard that in some of the cuts. So that is some of the things that he's getting. He's getting a lot of blowback. And we're going to talk about this a little bit later in the show on this Wednesday edition from people that are normally friendly to him. Brit Hume on what these president with year one has been like in his view from a guy that's seen a lot of presidents up close and covered a lot of White Houses directly. Cut 11. His problem, I think, of course, is that, that uh, all these ma- matters that relate to COVID have not ended up ending COVID, which he promised to do, as you pointed out. And on the economic side, uh, you know, the fact that the economy is growing, and it certainly has been and continues to, stock market up and all the rest of it, uh, much of that is obscured by the fact that every single American is feeling the effects of inflation, which is spurted forward in a way we haven't seen in many, many years indeed. Mm-hmm. So he's got a problem. Yeah, no kidding. So he's got a problem with the facts. So if he comes out there, and Mark Thiessen had a great column in the Washington Post. He said when he wrote for George Bush in 2006, the Iraq war wasn't going well, and George Bush decided to attack it by talking in in the big picture what the goals were, and it didn't go over well. The speech wasn't well received. It was a dial tone because they felt as though he wasn't addressing the issue. When things changed was the surge, was action. So promise action, but saying I did a bad job not emphasizing my victories would be a disaster. And that's what Mark Thiessen was trying to say today in his column. Obviously, he's a conservative writer, but he also calls things as he sees it. So the other big story that's going to be happening during our show is going to be voting on the filibuster. Now, while you want to vilify Republicans, the problem is at least Cinema, definitely Manchin, are not going to vote to blow the filibuster and not going to vote for voting reform. But the problem with Chuck Schumer asking for everyone to go on the record, there's a lot of people that think as though Mark Kelly is on life support. He's been a terrible, invisible senator for a for a veteran who goes into space. He refuses to take any risks at all. We don't know where he stands about anything. Now you're going to have him weigh in in a formerly red state that's leaning purple and say, I'm blowing up the filibuster. If not, you're going to alienate the Democratic votes you need. Tough. New Hampshire, also purplish, leans right. But you have Maggie Hassan, a Democrat. Now she's going to have to go in there and to say, I'm going to blow up the filibuster and vote for voting rights reform. That's going to tick off Republicans or Democrats, depending on where you stand. So has Joe Manchin budged? I don't know if you heard, but some VIP, uh, Paul Tagliabue, the former commissioner of the NFL, uh, Nick Saban, Jerry West, all have some links to West Virginia. Evidently, Colin wrote a letter, called in some cases and wrote a letter urging Joe Manchin to vote for voting reform. And what a joke that is. Have they even read the problem in any of these states and identified it as a problem, asking for ID, uh, early voting with a Social Security number? Really? So Joe Manchin, has he changed his mind? Here he is yesterday, cut 24. I just don't know how you break a rule to make a rule and thinking you're doing something is going to. We've never done this. We have never done. I've looked. I've been looking for every precedent I can, every car path. So we've done everything along the lines of with the rules. And I don't know why we can't come together and find a pathway forward. But breaking the rules, there's no checks and balances in this process. Only for the only thing we have is a filibuster. The majority of my of my colleagues in the caucus, Democrat caucus, they've changed. They've changed their mind. I respect that. You have a right to change your mind. I haven't. I hope they respect that, too. I've never changed my mind on on the filibuster. What don't you get? I mean, come on. 
He's not going to blow it up, and he's going to be the hero of Democrats when they lose the Senate and lose the White House in 2024, which looks inevitable if things stayed where they are. But will they? I want to find out from you. one 408 We'll get your calls in a moment. At the bottom of the hour, we're going to talk to uh, Rich Lowry and put this all in perspective as we wait for the president to talk today. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Getting past all the rhetoric. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The law's there, the rules are there, and basically the government. The government will stand behind them and make sure they have a right to vote. We have that. The things they're talking about now are in court. Mark Elias has an awful that in court. The courts have struck down, like in Ohio, they struck down the gerrymandering. Things are happening, okay? We act like that we're going to obstruct people from voting. That's not going to happen. And what he's talking about, gerrymandering was offered by the Republican legislature, was struck down by the courts. Uh, this guy, Mark Elias and Eric Holder, are out there trying to stop gerrymandering, unless, of course, it's in a Democratic state. It's been part of our process to begin with. And Jen, Joe Manchin just said what we've been saying. There is no problem voting in states that are bringing integrity to the process. They're not limiting the process, nothing to do with race. The one point, one district in Texas that they said, well, you got to go 24 miles to a voting booth. Okay, that number one, you look into that and you say, maybe you want to vote early if that's an issue. It's a rural area. It's hard to staff. And one of the other things you might want to do is, I don't know, look at the district. Do you know the district was won by Donald Trump by 20 by 65, he had 65% of the vote there. So it looks like a Republican would hurt the most by the lack of polling between those two rural areas, poll, uh, poll places. Chris, listen to WSBA in Pennsylvania. Hey, Chris. Chris, you're on. All right. Uh, we'll have to get to uh, calls in a second. So we'll hold on till we can straighten that out. So uh, when it comes to voting, when you uh, talk about what's happening in Georgia, you're just talking about putting your last four digits of your Social Security number on your application. Do you know that there's still no excuse balloting? You just want a ballot. You're not going to say you're absent. You're not going to say you're out of town. You're not going to say you can't get to the polling booth. You're not going to say you're handicapped or sick. You know, there's no You could still have it. You just got to apply for it earlier than you were because same-day absentee balloting is for the pandemic. And what I worry about is by them bringing this up in this fruitless effort, as soon as they get routed in the House, and if they do lose the Senate, they're going to say, look, I told you, with these new Republican legislatures, we have no chance creating doubt in the process. You and I know that's not true, but the overall, the American public starts doubting the voting. 
out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. The eyes of the nation will be watching what happens this week in the United States Senate. The public is entitled to know where each senator stands on an issue as sacrosanct as defending our democracy. The American people deserve to see their senators go on record, and Republicans will have to choose which side they stand on, protecting democracy or offering their implicit endorsement of Donald Trump's big lie. See, what drives me crazy and what really has me befuddled is nobody thinks Senator Schumer is dumb. Nobody thinks he's not savvy. Just like Cynthia Mitch McConnell, Democrats might hate him, but no one says he's not smart and tactical and strategic. I don't understand what Schumer's talking about. Do you think Republicans mind going on the record? The question is, what about moderate Democrats? They're the ones who mind going on the record. It's going to make it harder to keep the Senate, I think. But Rich Lowry is the one with years of experience as editor of National Review and author of The Case for Nationalism. Hey, Rich, welcome back. Do you th- I see more downside than upside here for Democrats. Do you? I don't get it. I, re- I really don't get it. You, why do you drag your own people through um, a vote that's going to be bad for them? You know, the, the Democrats who aren't in, are in competitive states, you know, they gotta, the, if they vote to end the filibuster, it's going to be used against them in the campaign. If they don't, you know, and one or two more might besides Cinema and Mansion, then you get the left up, upset at you. So w- why he's doing this is an utter mystery unless – he just thinks it's a play that gins up the base, keeps them safe in New York, and um, and it doesn't matter the results. But this this just seems a rank incompetence, unless I'm missing something. Senator uh, Mark Kelly is vulnerable. Uh, he's been such a letdown. I thought this guy, as a as a veteran, who goes into space and takes great risks, he refused to do anything. I don't know what he is. He doesn't even protect Center Cinema, and then Senator Maggie Hassan, a vulnerable by all accounts, especially. Um, if the governor had run for that slot, I'm not sure who's going to step on the Republican side. Who else is vulnerable on the left? Warnock? Well, I think the, those would be those would be the the top two that that you'd look at. And it, this is just you know Schumer in that clip you played. He's like you know the American people are going to be watching. No, they're not. I mean, no one cares about this. And the polling's clear. One of the charges against Biden, and one of the reasons he's sagging so badly, is people don't think he's focused on things that they are concerned about. The top most being inflation. There's a CBS poll, very marked findings on this over the weekend. So Biden, even though there's not much he can do directly to uh, affect inflation, he should be demonstrating all the time that he's focused on it and he cares a lot about it and instead they've gone down this idiotic rabbit hole so it's really tough i you know i think i'm getting some read from the other side that says that they feel as though in today's four o'clock press conference eastern time rich lowry they feel as though they have not done a good job effectively underlining their victory so i assume that'll be the rescue plan which many people uh, economists think fueled inflation and they're going to talk about the bipartisan infrastructure deal okay 
Uh, do you think the problem is they haven't underlined their successes? And do you think to, if even if you're a Democrat, would that be a place to start today? Well, it's it's better than doing what they're doing, which is doubling down on failure and making a big deal of things that just aren't going to happen. We we knew you know two weeks ago before they started on this voting voting rights jaunt that wasn't going to work. It wasn't going to happen. They should have known that. So yeah, it's better to talk about the things you've been able to get done rather than things that that aren't going to happen. But the COVID relief bill, it's just there's zero sign it had any really I- impact and people's lives in, in a way that they care about. An infrastructure bill, you know, even if there were the projects eventually funded by that bill, it's not going to – infrastructure is not like a, a, an instant thing. You know, it, it unspools over the course of years. And, again, it's it's the conditions and especially in inflation and the supply chain disruptions and the continued uh, big COVID caseload, those, those are the conditions that are dragging him down. And he just hasn't seemed to focus on them particularly. Uh, I think in this speech, it's got to be what is your year two plan on COVID? Because get vaccinated, it's your patriotic duty, is not an effective strategy. Missing both variants? How are you going to catch the next one ahead of time? He missed both variants. The vice president admitted that. And also crime in the city. Word is not only is he not going to talk about crime, you know, with 12 separate cities hitting homicide records. He's going to talk about police reform, how he's going to leave Congress and just do it through executive order. I don't know if there's anything more tone deaf than that. Yeah, yeah, they're just totally incorrigible on so much of the stuff. On COVID, I, mean, I think the play would be get rid of Fauci, say we're, we're moving to a totally different approach. We realize that COVID zero is totally on its attainable and these various restrictions to try to get there are more destructive than helpful and we're, we're going to try try something new um i i think that might be notable might make an impression on people and on crime you know it's not a federal issue it's primarily a state and local issue but the the idea that we still have to be banging on about the, the cops at, at this moment as you as you put it is just incredibly tone deaf but if you want to show up, and no one knows this better than you, if you want to show up and show you care, you show up in Chicago, you show up in New York, you show up in Philadelphia, you go to Los Angeles, you go to San Francisco, you visit the Gucci place, the smash and grab victims, mm-hmm. you see the people, meet with them, and, and, and ask the locals, just like, for example, it's not your fault that Kentucky got hit by a tornado, but you show up yep. and you express empathy, you grab your jean shirt Completely. and you walk yep. around and you see yep. it. So yeah, there, there's it, no sense that, that they even cares. Yeah, so you're totally right. When the when the governor puts on his boots and his windbreaker and goes and visited some sites and devastated by a storm or whatever, that doesn't you know it doesn't change anything. It just shows he or she cares, and he should be doing this not just on crime, but on inflation. He should be every other day should have a event at a, a, a port or at a grocery store that for some reason you know has full shelves because because something you know some companies have figured out some some new faster way to uh, to work the supply chain and. And even if it doesn't make a huge difference, it shows that he's focused on the issue. And eventually, you know, the supply chain directions, disruptions will end. I mean, we'll figure this out. And then you can take credit. You know, I, I was working this the whole time. You know, this is just politics 101. And, you know, the b- bottom line, Brian, is just this, this isn't breaking news. He's just not a great politician. He doesn't have great political skills. No one thought over the last 40 years this is the great statesman who needs to lead this country. He just happened to be in the right place at the right time. But I thought he could staff. You know, a lot of people uh, put great staff underneath him. Ronald Reagan, you know, he had, the, he had the lofty language, but he had the great people underneath him, and he was willing to share the spotlight. 
Uh, and they did a lot of work. I think he's hired the worst staff from Susan Rice to Ron Klain to Tony Blinken. Please tell uh, to the HHS Secretary Bashera, please tell me where I've seen competence. And I want you to hear what yeah. Kelly McEnany said before you comment, because, you know, we heard for the longest time this businessman has no experience, there's too many firings, and there's, uh, there's, he doesn't understand the system. That's what was so valuable about Mike Pence. Here's what Kelly McEnany said on the transition, cut nine. I remember, you know, we're exiting the White House. Uh, they're coming in, the Biden administration, and we're being told the adults are back. The adults are in the room. Joe Biden's got it covered. You know, this administration knows what they're doing. They're veterans. They've been here with President Barack Obama, and they're back. Well, they're back. Look at what that got us. Six months in, the most disastrous withdrawal I've ever seen out of Afghanistan, a, a moral stain on our country, inflation out the wazoo, a supply chain shortage, empty shelves. We left them the greatest, most sophisticated testing system in the world, outpacing all of Western Europe combined, and they couldn't even manage to keep that up. I mean, it is a train wreck on every single level. Do you think she's overstating anything? No, I think I think she's right, and a, a huge part of it was that they they wanted to focus on their big transformational agenda. They didn't have the mandate for, didn't have the majorities to pass in Congress because they thought, in part, this was their their last chance at it. And they, they might be right. You know, if Republicans take the the House and get you know 30 seat majority or whatever it is at the end of this year, that majority might hold you know for a decade. <clears throat> Who knows? But it's conceivable. So that totally shuts the door for them doing any of this. Stuff. So the, excuse me. So that accounted for some of the desperation here, and and instead of just realizing why he was in in that office, because people are like, okay, we'll, we'll we'll take some boring normality. He pursued this transformational agenda, and it's just been overwhelmed by events, you know, and his assumptions proved wrong. He thought COVID would go away because we had the vaccine. Not crazy. I thought that too, but it was wrong. And then you need to to adjust, and he hasn't on a whole host of fronts. And I think Kaylee's right, obviously, to, met, meet, uh, to mention Afghanistan. I think that's what the beginning of the breaking point of his presidency early on here was clearly that botched withdrawal. Rich Lowry, uh, thanks so much. Look forward to your next column with the National Review. Rich, thanks. Thanks, Brian. Talk to you soon. So I don't know if you noticed, uh, and uh, the New York Times and almost every media outlet is desperate to get ratings. They're not having them. Outside Fox, they're not getting them. And the one of the reasons is because Donald Trump is not in the news, taking off social media, not running, not in power. But that hasn't stopped investigations for now moving front and center on every other channel because Letitia James has taken aim at the Trump organization. It's a civil suit, not going to end up in jail time, but they're trying to say he inflated his properties in order to get loans. Uh, we will talk about what is political and what is uh, troublesome because Andy McCarthy is going to join me now. He knows all about New York, targeting, politics, and the law. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Honest commentary, unique opinions, no agenda. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Andy McCarthy joins me now. Uh, he's Fox legal analyst, uh, best in the business, very familiar with New York politics as the law. And uh, and thanks so much for joining me. I, I, Andy, I just watch you on TV, and I wanted to maybe share that with my radio audience. 
Uh, the Trump Organization leading almost every other outlet because they don't get ratings without talking Trump. That's what we're seeing. So as they, as Letitia James, the attorney general running for election, decides she's going to make public her allegations of fraud, essentially, of the Trump Organization inflating the, the worth of their properties in order to get additional loans. I just want to get a reality check on how much, if any, trouble do you think the Trump Organization's in? I would just remind people, Brian, that um, number one, this is a civil case, not a criminal case. She's been working jointly with the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, which are the criminal investigators, and that included Cy Vance, uh, who was the DA until the beginning of the year when he handed the baton over to this new guy, uh, Alvin Bragg. They badly wanted to make a criminal case on Trump. And they basically ended up throwing up their hands. They uh, indicted the chief financial officer of the Trump organization on a kind of a a minor thing that goes on all the time, which is, you know, he was given um, uh, perks and they, you know, treated them weirdly for tax purposes. And, you know, without getting into the finance weeds of it, if they did that to every company in New York, God knows how many cases they could make. And I think case in point, Andy, I think case in point, it was they used some uh, Trump organization money to help pay for private school for one of his grandchildren. Right. 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 And then there was an issue about whether they treated that as a business expense or whether it was income or, you know. So if they started to play those games with every big corporation in New York, my God, you know, who knows how many cases they bring. But the other thing is, and I can say this having been in the Southern District of New York, which is the federal prosecutor's office in Manhattan for 20 years um, and handling some, you know, pretty big cases there. There's nothing the federal prosecutors in Manhattan like better than, you know, bank fraud, insurance fraud, uh, and the kind of stuff that she is accusing Trump of, which is not like unheard of in in uh, big corporate finance, which is that you inflate the value of properties when you're trying to get loans and you deflate the value of them when you have to pay taxes. Right. This is like, yeah. you know, this is this is not something that's uh, that Trump invented, if, if indeed that's what happened. And I just you know, I, I can't pretend that I am uh, that I have granular knowledge of what's going on in these investigations, but I find it hard to believe that Michael Cohen, who was the guy who kicked these investigations off for the prosecutors, he was a Southern District of New York defendant. He pled guilty there. He gave them all kinds of information about Trump. If there was a, a great bank fraud case here, it's hard for me to believe the federal prosecutors wouldn't have wanted to do that. Right. And that but, the Biden Justice yeah. Department wouldn't be all over that. So I'm very suspicious about all of this. But it's not. But uh, it's been 34 months. And to me, it seems like pure political targeting. You had no problem before he was running as a Republican for president and let alone become president. You raid his lawyer's uh, office for some false reason. And then you have him flip. Uh, he goes to jail. He flips and he's trying to de- destroy the Trump organization. Uh, but they they uh, already tried to depose Eric. He took the fifth the entire time. They're going to have to Ravanka and Don Jr. And eventually, probably the former president, he doesn't want to submit to it. But what makes you think the criminal investigation is over? Oh, I'm not I'm not suggesting it's over because they've said it's not over. I'm just curious that, uh, you know, she says they have all this great evidence. This is stuff they've had for years and they haven't filed 
criminal charges. And the whole game here is, is criminal charges, right? And I, I would think, Brian, I know New York is crazy. You know, you're a New Yorker. I'm a New Yorker. But if I, if I was still a New Yorker, I'd be awfully curious about why it is that New Yorkers are afraid to go on the subway because the laws aren't being enforced. And they're scorching the earth to get this guy, and they've been doing it for years. And all they've got so far that you can see is a civil case that says he inflates his property values in lawyered-up documents when he's trying to get loans, and he deflates them when he when he pays taxes, which – you know, again, if that's going to be now a a, a big crime, there's going to be an awful lot of people very nervous about that. Uh, um, the Trump Organization said this through a lawyer in a statement called they called Leticia James' accusations merely the latest in a long line of unfounded attacks against my client and an obvious attempt to distract the public from her own uh, inappropriate conduct. Leticia, you are not above the law. Uh, they another lawyer for Don Jr. and Ivanka said this. In a statement, James Filings did not address her repeated threats to target the Trump family and ignore their constitutional rights by conducting overlapping probes, which she actually ran on. She's been caught on tape talking about. So it is amazing at a time in which there's a candlelight vigils for a 40 year old who was thrown in front of a train at 940 in the morning on Saturday and a city that's leading homicide, leading uh, among the highest in homicide numbers. Donald Trump is the biggest problem. It's amazing the tolerance. It's amazing that we would tolerate this final thought, Andy. Well, I, I yeah, I, I don't think the Democrats are helping themselves, although it, it looks obvious to me that they want to run against Trump. Right. So they're trying to keep him relevant as a legal matter. Brian, I think the other thing that may be going on here is if this was just a criminal investigation, you can't obviously subpoena the defendant in a criminal investigation, but you can do it in a civil investigation. So maybe they hope they can get him to say something in testimony that they can use to get them over the top in the criminal investigation. So they're trying to leverage the two. But I don't think his lawyers are going to fall for that. I wouldn't think so. But, you know, they also say sometimes you guys tell me the process is the punishment. Is the process the yep. punishment? Uh, well, yeah, it certainly is. And let's let's to be fair, though, Trump at least has the resources to go toe to toe with the government. A lot of people that the government does this to do not have Trump's resources to fight them back. Good point. And if everybody out there was trying to who tried to remortgage their house, it always tries to inflate the value of their house. Ultimately, an adjuster comes up and decides if your Chase Bank should give Brian Kilmeade that that uh, refinance. So there were banks that check up on this. If they didn't do their due diligence, right. that's on them. That's what I thought. And it looks from her investigation like they did. Yeah. You know, they didn't they didn't take his word for it. They sent appraisers out to look at these properties. Andy McCarthy comes through in the clutch for us. Thanks so much. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Happy to be coming to you from New York City, downtown New York, where no one's safe. And around the country and around the world, hope you're listening. Uh, Gerard Baker is going to be with us, editor-at-large of the Wall Street Journal in a matter of moments. And Bobby Barak's going to be with us from OutKick. He did a big story about the whole COVID hysteria, as well as the part-time the part owner of the uh, of the Golden State Warriors who came out and said, nobody cares about the Uyghurs. Really? 
No one cares that 2 million Muslims are in a concentration camp when it comes to China because he's all about the mighty dollar. But, my goodness, if you don't like the way something happens with a police interaction with a would-be suspect, you are willing to put Black Lives Matter on the side of a court. But when it comes to the Uyghurs, why not go and invest? Why not go and, uh, into the Olympics and, uh, and send your diplomats and, and, and underline your sponsors and compete in Beijing? People care about the Uyghurs. And he tried to walk it back, but not even effectively. Bobby Barack on that. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. If the Republicans block cloture on the legislation before us, I will put forward a proposal to change the rules to allow for a talking filibuster on this legislation. If Senate Republicans are going to oppose it, they should not be allowed to sit in their office. They got to come down on the floor and defend their opposition. Right, Senator. Have you met Republicans? Do you hear the? Do you think they're shy about talking? Here we go again. The raging left wing will rail and not prevail when it comes to massive voting reform that pushes back against Republicans' push for voting integrity. But Senator Schumer will make his caucus vote on busting the filibuster and the Voting Act. This is going to hurt a lot of moderates. Number two. When you have an incident like this, the perception is what we're fighting against. This is a safe system. We're going to make sure New Yorkers feel safe in our subway system. And they don't feel that way now. I don't feel that way when I take the train. Head snapping switch, right? Crime crisis. Every major city is seemingly under attack. No, uh, no, uh, um, no blocks without homeless, no subways secure. What will we, when will we decide we have had enough as a country? Number one. President Biden holds a rare news conference tomorrow to reflect on his first year in office and to look ahead to the second. I say rare because Mr. Biden holds far fewer formal press conferences than did the three presidents who came before him. The president hits the one-year mark with slumping poll numbers and rising frustration within his Democratic Party. I would say so, presidential presser. As a reeling White House tries to reset their agenda, what we can expect to hear, what Joe Biden's team plans to do, and will he actually change that team? Let's bring in Gerard Baker from the Wall Street Journal, who wrote a recent column that really caught our attention as usual. Biden goes for broke, he's broke, now what? Question is, Gerard, is he capable of understanding how bad things have been going for him? Uh, thanks, Brian. Thanks very much for having me. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a good question, I think. Uh, look, I, I tried to uh, explore in the column why exactly Biden took the route that he did in the last year, and I do think he was persuaded for some strange reason uh, by Democrats who think that, the, you know, in the famous words of Rahm Emanuel, don't let a crisis go to waste. They could exploit this crisis, exploit the misery of people in this crisis in order to get, uh, achieve their ideological objectives rather than focusing on fixing the crisis, and I think Biden was convinced of that. Look, I think he must know... <laughs> You know, I mean, what do we know? He knows. I mean, he does show signs of, you know, slowing down alarmingly by the day. But he must understand how bad the polling is, um, and he must understand how bad uh, his legislative, the, the, the badder shape uh, his legislative agenda is in. And he must understand that if he wants to get anything done, if he certainly if he wants to avoid an absolute catastrophe in the midterms in November, something's got to change. The problem, Brian, is. What does he change? I mean, to me, this is the thing. Even if he recognizes the problem, what does he change? I mean, does he start working with those people across the aisle or even people in his own party that only last week he was describing as traitors like Jefferson Davis? Does he now say, oh, actually, you know, OK, the, you know, that weird thing we had from Jen Psaki last week. Well, he wasn't talking about the humans involved. <laughs> well, 
who you know i mean who was who was he talking i mean i mean you know i don't know if he regards you know people like joe manchin as not human or something but uh, you know how does he do that he is he has spent the last year denouncing everybody who doesn't sign on to the full ideological left-wing democratic agenda what now he's going to turn around and say actually you know what i think we can get some i think we can get some important stuff done with these people that i despise i I just don't see it happening well put it this way mitt romney made it clear and he'd be the first call if you want to reach across the aisle i think we all agree on that that no one ever Mm -hmm. called him about voting reform and they would agree on electoral reform in the electoral process itself uh so instead of going for some deals he just goes for the extreme and he wants to paint anybody who doesn't vote with him, Jefferson Davis, Davis or who is somebody who's a or Bull Connor, somebody who's a racist. I think personally, Gerard, to answer your question that you asked in the column, when he sat down with all those historians and they explained to him and evidently convinced him he was LBJ uh, and he was Abraham Lincoln and uh, he was he was uh, FDR. That's when he thought, he goes, listen, I got all the power in the White House. So he started going for these things, ignoring the other party. And he's fallen on his face with police reform, immigration reform, build back better, and now voting reform. So, I mean, he's the worst thing that probably happened to him was winning both those Senate seats in Georgia. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Brian. And I think two, I'd say two other quick things, too, that contributed to this. One was, again, as I said in the column, I think I, we all heard that Biden spent eight years under Joe, under Barack Obama being laughed at and humiliated by the teenagers who used to carry Barack Obama's Blackberry around the West Wing for him because they thought, oh, funny, was out of touch. He was an old guy. He didn't understand, you know, modern America and American politics, and they just laughed at him. And I think part of Biden getting into office when he came into office a year ago was, I'm going to show these people. I can show. I can be. As, I can be more transformative than, than than Barack Obama. And I think the other thing we really, really need to know about, we think about Joe Biden is Joe Biden has never been a leader. He's never led anything. He's never taken a stand against. Uh, you know, I went back through his career, Brian. You look in the 1980s. Uh, the, the bulk of the Democratic Party was very left wing, very much against Ronald Reagan, very much against what Reagan was doing domestically and abroad. And of course, Joe Biden was too. 1990s, Bill Clinton comes in and sort of tries to reposition the party. New Democrats, welfare reform, crime bill. Guess what? Biden supports that too. 2000s, straight after 9/11 and with the Iraq War. Joe Biden supports that, all that, because that's where his party is. Then Barack Obama comes in, takes a different tack. Biden's his vice president. Biden goes in the same direction. He's never, Brian, in 50 years in politics, done what you do as a leader, which is to stand up sometimes, not all the time because you won't get anywhere if you do that, stand up sometimes against the people in your own party and say, this is wrong. We're not going to do this. This is my way. This is the right, right way. You follow me. If you don't want to follow me, then don't. He's never done that. He's a follower, not a leader. Gerard Baker with us from the Wall Street Journal. So the big story today, there'll be a vote on the filibuster and a vote for voting rights. He wants to make sure everyone st- wants to find out where everybody stands. Now, politically, we just found out in reading the local newspaper, uh, it looks like Mark Kelly, who is a question mark, will vote to blow up the filibuster. I'm not sure that's going to really fly in Barry Goldwater's old state or John McCain's old seat, but Mark Kelly will vote, uh, unlike cinema, against blowing up the filibuster. So he shows, again, no backbone, I don't believe. And listen to what Joe Manchin said when asked about that. Again, cut 24. I just don't know how you break a rule to make a rule and thinking you're doing something is going to. We've never done this. We have never done I've looked. I've been looking for every precedent I can, every car about. So we've done everything along the lines of with the rules. And I don't know why we can't come together and find a pathway forward. But breaking the rules, there's no checks and balances in this process, only for 
the only thing we have is a filibuster. The majority of my, of my colleagues in the caucus, Democrat caucus, they've changed. They've changed their mind. I respect that. You have a right to change your mind. I haven't. I hope they respect that, too. They don't. I've they, never changed my mind on, on the filibuster. And they don't. Bernie Sanders says, I might support a primary for a cinema and mansion. He doesn't seem to care. Yeah, good luck with that. The, 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 the ratings, the opinion poll ratings they have, those two senators have in their state, very high mansion, particularly high. But even, you know, which is, and, and mansion is, remember, you know, a Democrat in a deep, deep, deep red state. But Kelly, uh, sorry, a cinema, cinema and Kelly are, are Democrats in a purple state, but even cinema has got strong support. So the idea they're going to be challenged. Look, I think there's something pretty unedifying about the spectacle. We, we know that a lot of Democratic senators are not in favor of blowing up the, the of, of getting rid of the filibuster. They don't want to get rid of the filibuster because they know, I mean, one, they know that they've said for the last 20 years that getting rid of the filibuster would be a terrible, terrible blow to democracy. Now they're saying apparently uh, it would be a, a blow to democracy not to get rid of the filibuster. But they also know that in, in a matter of 10 months, less than 10 months' time, uh, the beginning of next year anyway, they're going to be facing a Congress that is almost certainly in a Senate that's almost certainly in the control of the, of the Republicans. And are they then going to say, uh, actually, yeah, you can, you know, you can get rid of the filibuster. You can do whatever you like with the 50, 50 seats or 51 seats, 51 seats in the Senate. So they're hiding behind the actually the, the, the outspoken and the, and the more courageous acts of cinema and mansion who are actually coming out and saying we're not going to do this. But there's probably another four or five Democratic senators who are then quite happy to go out publicly and say, oh, this is terrible. We've got to get rid of the uh, filibuster because we've got to get this crucial voting rights bill through. But actually are saying that knowing full well that it's not going to happen and very happy that it's not going to happen because they don't want to get rid of the filibuster in the first place. And Gerard, I just want to give you an idea. Just give uh, our audience an idea of what you expect to hear and what you, if you wanted to turn around Joe Biden's fortunes, what you would hear today at four? Well, I expect to hear, um, I expect he, he will probably try, I mean, first of all, you know, we'll, we're always unfortunately paying attention to, to, to what extent he actually manages to utter so co- coherent sentences because I'm sorry to say this, that's but that's been, pretty, that's been pretty rare recently. So we're, friend, we're all going to be watching to see, you know, whether what he says makes any sense on, on, on uh, you know, on, that's the most important point. Look, I think he'll I think he presumably will say, you know, I don't think we'll hear more about Jefferson Davis and uh, Bull Connor. I think he'll presumably try and say some things that acknowledge, you know, that he that he needs to reach across the aisle if he's to get anything done. Um, I, you know, certainly hope he, he he will say that. But again, I'm not sure. I think you know what I'd really like to hear him say, but Brian, this is the most important thing to me. He needs to stand up to the extremists in his own party, yep. and whether it's on crime, whether it's on this crazy deep district attorney we have in New York now who says he won't prosecute lots of violent crime, whether it is on the fund the police people, whether it's on people who want open borders, he needs to stand up and say, I understand that there are people in my party who've got, you know, who, who, who believe these things, and I'm just going to tell you I don't believe them. They're wrong. I'm going to be the president I promised I was going to be when I ran in 2020. I'm a president for, for all Americans. I'm not a president for the extreme left wing of the Democratic Party. And I, he does need, you know, it's an old cliche, Brian, in politics. He does need that sister soldier moment where he stands up and says, you know, I'm not any, you know, I'm, we, we, we cannot tolerate this 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 woke this essentially woke racism we cannot tolerate this this crime wave and we cannot tolerate this um this this approach that we that many of my party seem to believe that we should just let as many people into this country whoever wants to come to this country it's time for him to do that uh, that might start to repair some of the damage i don't expect it but that's what i'd like to see. I, I think the whole country is going center right or center left not scream right or extreme left i think george that's happening I think people are walking around from their Thanksgiving table to the beach and going, you know what? I'm tired of hating. You know, I'm tired of being angry. You know, I'm not in politics, but I, I might as well be. 
And I think that, you know, when you see Manchin come up and speak up, and it's just like a breath of fresh air. Yeah, I agree completely. I, you know, this is a very this is a fractured nation, and I do think Biden actually had an opportunity with basically a tied result in the election last year. He won. Okay, he won the election narrowly over Trump, but it was a tie in Congress, fifty-fifty in the Senate, and they lost. Democrats lost seats in the House, seats in the House, and had a handful of seats majority. He could have used the opportunity then to say, you know what, I'm going to yeah, let, we're not, let's not. Let's take a breath. And by the way, let's address the issues the American people want addressed, whether it's COVID, whether it's inflation, uh, whether it's crime. You know, let's address let's, – let's forget these – building these fancy castles in the air of progressive utopias of, you know, build back better and, you know, green uh, – revolution, revolutionizing the economy in a green way and building all this, you know, social infrastructure that we need to do. Let's forget all that. Okay, we can have that conversation another time. Let's focus on what needs to be done and what needs to be done a lot of practical things, getting this country back to work, getting getting crime down, um, getting the economy, getting inflation down. He could do he could do that. He could still do that even now. The problem is he spent a year blowing all that political capital he had a year ago, Brian, and he's got none left. Politico says uh, 68 percent of the country feels we're on the wrong track. They gave him 40 percent approval. Quinnipiac, 33, 44 percent approval from CBS. Uh, and now it looks like it's almost a dead heat on education, on pandemic response and voting rights between Republicans and Democrats in this country. Those were three issues in which Democrats uh, had the supreme advantage last election. People are looking and saying, well, maybe they didn't have it right. Uh, You had it right, Gerard. Thanks so much for answering the call. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Brian. You got it. Gerard Baker of The Wall Street Journal. When we come back, your turn, 1-866-408-7669. And then Bobby Barak joins us from OutKick to talk about COVID hysteria and how it seems Joe Biden has lost his base, which is the press. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. When you have an incident like this, the perception is what we're fighting against. This is a safe system. We're going to make sure New Yorkers feel safe in our subway system, and they don't feel that way now. I don't feel that way when I take the train. So uh, that is Eric Adams on Saturday after this 40-year-old NYU grad um got thrown in front of a train just waiting there, a subway train by a, a, a lunatic, somebody who's mentally imbalanced, that from his own family. You heard him screaming when he was uh, being brought out of the police station, turned himself in after. Eric Adams looks at the horror and says, listen, don't think that uh, that subway uh, subways are dangerous. It's not. Uh, is there something more tone deaf than that? I don't think it is. Even Joe Biden would say, uh, you know, wise up. So then he, the second statement you heard is Adams the next day that he talked in detail about when he went on the subway after he became mayor. He goes, he was scared. He heard the yelling, the screaming, the homeless, and he was scared. And if you look at some of these stats, transit crime complaints have gone at 65.5%. And I don't say that to get you focused on New York because I just, uh, two of our great affiliates are from New York. But it's the same thing in Philadelphia, the same thing in Chicago, the same thing in Los Angeles, San Francisco. But it's happening more on the surface than it is below. And it just goes to show you, I had so much hope for Eric Adams, but some of his instincts are totally letting him down. And if if Joe Biden wanted to be effective today, he would bring up crimes in these cities and not bring up cops being the problem in these cities, which sadly, early reports are he is saying that. So 
a couple of things. The president of the United States reportedly feels bad that he's not emphasizing success enough. If he goes out there and just trumpets his success and then takes questions, he will fall on his face tremendously. He's got to do what Britain did. And it looks like Britain has done something, maybe because Boris Johnson got him in trouble, uh, got himself in trouble by attending a party at the height of the pandemic, even though he tested for it. Uh, he evidently is listing, uh, lifting all restrictions in the U.K. Now, they're about three weeks ahead of us with this Omicron variant. But each variant that comes in is supposed to be easily transmittable, easier transmittable, but not more lethal. So if you are uh, if you're worth if it's worth bringing up that in the U.K., they're lifting all restrictions. Masks on Thursday, that's tomorrow, they're going to lift all restrictions. And they're just ahead of us, as is Israel. Maybe the president of the United States says we're shifting postures. We're no longer going to be talking about staying home, working remote. I'm going to urge businesses to get your people back in the office. I'm going to urge teachers more than ever to suck it up and get back uh, to work. And the kids, to get your, allow your parents to go back to work, stop at the daycare, and go back to school. That would be pretty encouraging and citing the fact that the U.K. is doing it. And they haven't exactly been living on the edge in terms of taking risks. Now, politics could play a role in that. But that's people writing me at BrianKillMe.com are saying that, said notice you can do that. Something else some people bring up to me is don't forget to bring up the border. The president of the United States bringing up the border, saying that he's going to actually underline it, stop it from fentanyl to illegals at $2 million plus. That would go a long way. But I just got to see an action plan after that. The vice president is going to Honduras, though, with private money. No, make them do something, then turn over the private money, Mrs. Vice President. Larry, uh, Bobby Barack is next. Brian Kilmeade Show. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. When are we going to stop putting up with the idiots in this country and just say you now, it's mandatory to get vaccinated. F*** them, f*** their freedom. I want my freedom to live. I want to get out of the house already. I, I want to go next door and play chess. I want to go take some pictures. This is bull****. So that's a little of Howard Stern of late, uh, the most famous, successful radio personality in my lifetime, possibly ever, uh, who's been unlistenable because all he does is talk about sitting in his basement and uh, ducking COVID, wearing masks. And if you don't wear it, you're a terrible person. If you're uh, Novak Djokovic, uh, the best tennis player in the world who got kicked out of the Australian Open, you should be banned from all tennis, uh, as is uh, Kyrie Irving, the same thing. If you're not vaccinated... He hates your guts. What happened to this guy? Bobby Barak wrote a column on this. It's in OutKick. Uh, Bobby, welcome back. Brian, thanks for having me. So, Bob, first off, what, when did you realize that Howard Stern went over the edge? Yeah, Brian, like you had just mentioned it. This is the guy that's known as the most successful radio host ever. He's at least, you know, it's between him and Rush Limbaugh. And so many people turn to Howard Stern as just sort of like this voice for reason. He's always been the guy that challenges the man. Now he's become such a shill for the government and big pharma. If people have been asking over the past two years, what happened to Howard Stern? And I really noticed it this past year when the vaccines came out because this is a guy who thinks that you know vaccines are bulletproof you get the vaccine you're good you'll be good forever but if you don't get the vaccine not only is he calling for your job he's called for the government to step in and punish these people he demanded that the u.s government step in and make sure kyrie irving can't work anywhere he even called for people to be arrested for not getting the vaccine 
That's obviously not normal behavior by any account. Howard Stern has become exactly the person he spent decades mocking. It's really unbelievable to see the evolution of his career go so far south because right now he's a shell of what he used to be. Cut 31, more from Stern. Anyone who's unvaccinated and needs to be in the hospital for a COVID, they should just say, no, we're sorry. We told you to get vaccinated and you didn't. So you're done. That's it. Go home and uh, take that horse uh, dewormer. Good luck to you. It's Ivermectin. And he has become just a left-wing Democrat. Remember, you know, he was talking about, I don't want to get involved, Hillary or how or Donald Trump. Donald Trump was the best guest he ever had. And now he mocks him nonstop. It's because he's hanging out with Jimmy Kimmel and all the Hollywood elite. That's something he used to mock. Yeah, Brian. And, and I think the big thing here is that people say, well, you know, COVID scared Howard Stern. But I say in my columnist, I don't think COVID necessarily ruined Howard Stern. It was COVID hysteria that did this to him. Like, I think the best way to put it, if you believed or believe everything that the CDC, Dr. Fauci, CNN, Joe Biden, the New York Times, NPR, if you believe everything that they have told you about COVID, you're obviously not going to be in a healthy state because they've told us so many lies. They've made things so extreme that, of course, you're going to be sitting in your basement scared. I mean, that first soundbite you played, Howard Stern says, I just want to go to my neighbor's house and play checkers. Well, Stern's trice facts. So is his neighbors. He's admit that over and over again. There's nothing stopping Stern from going to play checkers with his fully vaxxed neighbors. But the media consumption that he consumes, the politicians and medical experts that he follows, listens to and reads, they're telling him that he's still not safe, that these unvaccinated heathens are such a threat that they're killing people. I mean – if our leaders and medical experts would just come out and tell us the truth about this, that, look, right. there are people that are vulnerable that should get the vaccine, but there are some healthy people that have questions. And by and large, most people are still able to go out and live their lives. Howard Stern doesn't think that because people like Fauci and the CDC, they won't admit that's the case because they don't right. want to relinquish that power. Remember, I find that pretty sad. Remember Aaron Rodgers, too. Um, Aaron Rodgers, he hated. He went off after Rod Rodgers because he was immunized, but he wasn't vaccinated. And then he came out and he had it, and it was a big controversy. He went after him. Here he is going after Djokovic. Cut thirty-two. That's not whatever his name is. I call him the Joker. They should throw him right the out of tennis. That's it. You should be out of tennis. He doesn't care about anyone else. His statement was: getting vaccinated is a private decision. You shouldn't be mandated. Stay away from other people. You could infect other people. Stay home because you don't want it. Well, that's like saying smoking is a private decision. Well, that's true. But don't smoke in my face. What a dummy. Just a dumb, big, dumb tennis player. Really a dummy? Uh, There's PhDs who don't want this vaccine. It's still unproven uh, in many cases. I got vaccinated. That's my choice. But the hatred for the unvaccinated is led by somebody who's looked at as edgy. Since when? if If Donald Trump had... Been uh, got four more years as president. Do you really think he'd be going to bat for this vaccine? No, I mean, what was so fascinating about this is people like Howard Stern and 
Whoopi Goldberg and the rest of you get, they were skeptical of the vaccine when Howard St- or when Donald Trump was still in office and he was pushing it with Operation Warp Speed. But as soon as he got out of it and Joe Biden became an advocate of it, all of a sudden now they say this thing is mandatory. It's the only way you can protect yourself. It's the only you know true way to keep on living. And and you just listen to Stern the way he talks about the, um, the tennis player and Rogers and Kyrie Irving, and he even went after Oprah Winfrey. I mean, this demonization of the unvaccinated has only furthered the cultural and societal divide in the country. I mean, we have it right now where, like, before it seemed like the left and right couldn't get along. Now it's like the vaccinated and the ones that still have some hesitancy, they're no longer on the same team. And, Brian, I don't think we can keep going on in a society where – Everything's your team, my team. If you're on the wrong team, you're the villain. You should be punished. I mean, look, personal health decisions should not dictate which team you're on. Why are we on teams right now based on vaccination status? I mean, we already went down this dangerous road a couple years ago after the death of George Floyd. where it's like, well, are you pro-BLM? Are you anti-BLM? Nobody even has a chance to consider their options because they have to so quickly identify which side they're on. You can't keep going on like this. Absolutely not. i got two more topics to get to. Uh, one, the the whole calculus has changed. Uh, final thought. You might say, well, Howard Stern saying the more responsible thing. Yeah. What about this variant? This variant uh, is not get uh, this, this vaccine does not block this variant. A booster doesn't block the variant. Look at Whoopi Goldberg. She got the variant. Dr. Nicole Sapphire weighed in on that. Things have changed. He should change. Cut 29. Omicron has really forced everyone to rethink COVID, and especially when we're talking about the OSHA mandate, that is based on old data, pre-Omicron data, at a time when vaccines had over 90% ability to prevent symptomatic illness. At that time, yes, the far majority of people who were transmitting the virus were unvaccinated, but that is not the case anymore, Shannon. Now that has dropped to less than 30%, and while you can have a boost from getting a booster, that is short-lived. So right now you have vaccinated, boosted and unvaccinated transmitting the virus. So we're all transmitting it. The booster negligible. They're already talking about a fourth and fifth shot. So real quick, uh, I want to pivot, if I can, to what's happening with this Golden State Warriors and the Beijing Olympics set to start February 4th. Uh, this owner came out and said this about the Muslim Uyghurs, two million of which are in concentration camps uh, in chains, having their organs harvested. Nobody cares about what's happening to the Uyghurs, okay? You you bring it up because you really what? care, and I think what that's nice that cares? you care. The rest of us don't care. I'm just well, telling you, you a very care? hard. Wait, wait, I'm you're saying you, you very, personally don't care. I'm telling you a very hard, ugly truth, okay? Of all the things that I care about, yes, it is below my line. I, I care about okay. the fact. So this guy walked it back. Not a word, Bobby, on ESPN. This is a non-story, even though he owns, he's part owner of one of the most high-profile teams in sports. Yeah, so a media monitoring service which follows words and transcripts, they confirmed yesterday that ESPX has mentioned this story a grand total of zero times. It has not made their airwaves one time, not even for a news update. So clearly, either all these ESPN wokesters like Jalen Rose and Adrian Wojnarowski would touch on all these social issues and claim they're bigger than basketball. Either they're hypocrites or somebody from ESPN management is telling them not to cover this story. And I don't think people realize how big this story is because the headlines often say, so far as you know, Warriors part owner says he doesn't care about Wagers. But 
really, he's saying he doesn't care about Chinese genocide. Brian, the U.S. Secretary of State declared about one year ago this time that that China is committing genocide against this group. This is the closest thing we have to modern-day Nazis. So this Warriors Part owner is essentially saying, I don't care about modern-day Nazis. Don't bother me with it. I don't care. We're making a lot of money from China. Don't mess with our bottom line. I mean, that's the context of what he's saying. That's right. a monstrous type of comment. No question. And if he were to say that about any other group, I mean, the NBA would force him to relinquish his stakes immediately. Can you imagine if he came out and said, I don't care about George Floyd, doesn't involve basketball? He would be gone yesterday. Um, I think what he said is one of the more troubling sports statements I've heard and that I can ever remember. And for ESPN, the number one sports network, by a mile to just completely ignore it, I mean, shame on them. And we should never take these guys seriously on any social topic if they're not going to condemn mm-hmm. someone saying, I don't care about genocide. Gotcha, Bobby. One more, one last thing. Here is what the media Leading up to today's 4 o'clock press conference, Eastern Time, with the President of the United States, this has been a disaster. Last week was a disastrous week, and I think this has been a disastrous year, especially with all the promises President Biden has made. But me saying that is maybe not a big news, but these people saying it is. President Joe Biden has had a very tough week with setbacks uh, for his agenda, COVID complications and the Supreme Court blocking his vaccine mandate. One year in, Mr. Biden has the second lowest approval rating ever measured in the White House and has never been less popular nationally. 2022 is not exactly off to a good start for the Biden administration. The country is frustrated. His party is frustrated. We're two weeks into a midterm election year, a few days away from his one-year anniversary of inauguration, and it is black. It is very dark for him right now. Now he's in the midst of what one famous children's book writer called a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad time. So Bobby's pretty excited. You know, probably most people know those voices of CNN and MSNBC. Uh, Call what happened? What's going on? Are they giving up on him? Um, you just played that uh, montage of Meet the Press open with the Chuck Todd. I got a text Sunday morning, Brian, around uh, 11 a.m. I was getting ready to watch the football game. And so an industry source said, hey, did you catch Chuck Todd this morning? I said, no, I don't watch Chuck Todd. And they're like, he just crushed Biden. This is the hardest NBC and Meet the Press has ever come down on a Democratic president that we can ever remember so i went and watched that segment online i could not believe it i could not believe it brian i mean chuck todd delivered this guy a fatal blow i mean he pretty much just said not only is this guy failing as a president i mean he pretty much says he's off to one of the worst starts ever which i agree with but i've been saying that since the start for someone like chuck todd to say it that's pretty eye-opening and you have to wonder where all this goes i think a lot of people forget during the Democratic primaries, it was the mainstream media and liberal pundits that actually questioned Biden's cognitive decline, right? They were pushing for Kamala Harris, Pete Buttigieg, Elizabeth Warren. They didn't jump on the Biden bandwagon until it was between Biden and Bernie Sanders because they thought Biden would do better in a general election with Trump. So the, the media and Democrats, which I really consider the same group or at least the same ideology, they've never totally been behind Biden, they just used him because he was wasn't Trump. Sort of a 
mm-hmm. moderate. They, they they portrayed him as this moderate face, but really they wanted to use him for a radical agenda. So they have no loyalty to Biden. So I think as soon as they smell blood, they'll turn on this guy. But they got nowhere to turn, Bobby. That's the problem. That's what's going to make it so interesting. We're going to watch the speech today and see if he can uh, try to get off year two to a better uh, start than year one ended. Outkick.com is where you find Bobby's columns, also all over social media. Bobby Barak, thanks so much. Hey, thanks so much, Brian. Talk soon. You got it. When we come back, we find out if there's indeed more to know. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I've been in a car where, you know, when uh, one of our songs has come on the radio and I've been, as we say in Dublin, scarlet. <laughs> you know, I'm just embarrassed. And I do think you 2 pushes out the boat on embarrassment quite a lot. Maybe that's the place to be as an artist is, you know, right at the edge of your level of pain or pain for, for embarrassment, your level of embarrassment. And the lyrics as well, you know, I, I feel that on Boy and other albums, it was sketched out very unique and original material. I don't think I filled in the details. And I look back and I go, God, I just, I mean, just we'd run out of time. Are you kidding me? Bono doesn't like you too? That means there's more to know. More to know. I cannot believe this. You might say, well, I think I could do better. I hear Billy Joel talk about uh, his voice and how they messed with it in recording. But this guy's talking about the content of his songs. He told the Hollywood Reporter Chatter podcast, alongside bandmate The Edge, the Irish Rockstar revealed that several aspects of U2 now made him cringe. Let's listen to more. Why do you find it a bit difficult to listen to the early stuff? Uh, it's the voice. The band sound incredible. I just found the, the voice very strained and not macho. And my Irish macho was kind of strained by that. It has been. Uh, the big discovery for me was listening to the Ramones and hearing the beautiful kind of sound of Joey Ramone and realizing I didn't have to be, you know, be that rock and roll singer. But I've only, I only became as a singer, <laughs> like recently. Maybe it hasn't <laughs> happened yet. I don't get it. I mean, I don't see Paul McCartney walking away from his stuff. Billy Joel likes his songs, most of his lyrics. I've heard him like extensively, extensively talking about some of the things that he would like to change, and people change. But I mean, it makes everybody that followed you too feel like the band. Uh, they feel like. They fell for a hoax. I don't know, though, because, I mean, if you like the songs, you're going to like the songs, though. I but mean, he's saying it sucks. That's, you know what? But he, the uh, creator says it sucks. But here, here's this, though. Yeah, Christopher Plummer, great actor, passed away, uh, legendary actor. One of his most famous movies is Sound of Music. He hates it. Well, it's I don't popular. like it. Either. I don't think musicals should be movies. Uh, Next. That, I agree. A vet engineer and podcast host are among the 270 doctors demanding that Spotify take action against Joe Rogan. Have you ever seen the greatest uh, hunk of idiocy? 87 of the signatories are medical doctors or doctors of osteopathic medicine. The conservative news site The Blaze found out that psychologists, physicians, assistants, medical students, engineers, 
all going after him. Now, Spotify is not going to take him off. He's interviewing doctors and other experts about this. They want to shut him down because Anthony Fauci is not able to go on. i just laughing at the fact that uh, veterinarians are on this list of people that want better experts. It shows you. I mean, you got to find out, too. Remember all those those experts that said that uh, the Build Back Better was going to help the economy? You got to wonder yeah, who you these people are. What, what they are really expert in. Yeah, uh, we have so much more to know, but we just don't have any more time to know it. I'm pretty sure that made sense. I'm going to listen to that back and see if I can separate myself from it. Maybe I'm embarrassed. Am I embarrassed by the more to know? I'm going to think about that in the break. Thanks so much for listening, Brian King. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so Kill much for me. being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York City, heard around the country, heard around the world. Larry Kudlow decided to come on five hours early before he had to really be ready for his show. We appreciate him coming on, uh, former White House uh, economic advisor and host of Kudlow on FBN at 4 o'clock. And uh, Martha McCallum will be here in about 25 minutes. Uh, but first things first, before we get to Larry, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. If the Republicans block cloture on the legislation before us, I will put forward a proposal to change the rules to allow for a talking filibuster on this legislation. If Senate Republicans are going to oppose it, they should not be allowed to sit in their office. They got to come down on the floor and defend their opposition. Do you really think Ted Cruz or Rand Paul or anybody else, Marco Rubio, would have a problem talking all day? Have you met them? Here we go again. The raging left wing will rail and not prevail when it comes to massive voting reform that pushes back against the Republicans' push for voter integrity. But Senator Schumer will make his caucus vote on busting the filibuster and his tired voting act. But they are doomed. Why I think he hurts his own people next. Number two. When you have an incident like this, the perception is what we're fighting against. This is a safe system. We're going to make sure New Yorkers feel safe in our subway system. And they don't feel that way now. I don't feel that way when I take the train. That's the same Eric Adams. One Saturday, one Tuesday, realizing how tone deaf it was, uh, sitting there with the dead body of a 40-year-old thrown on the tracks because he just was waiting on the edge by some lunatic and saying the subways are safe. He quickly amended his way. The crime crisis, every major city is seemingly under attack. No blocks without homeless. No subways secure. When will we decide we have had enough? Number one. President Biden holds a rare news conference tomorrow to reflect on his first year in office and to look ahead to the second. I say rare because Mr. Biden holds far fewer formal press conferences than did the three presidents who came before him. The president hits the one-year mark with slumping poll numbers and rising frustration within his Democratic Party. And CNN, John King going after Biden by just listing the facts. The presidential pressure as the reeling White House tries to reset their agenda. What we can expect to hear, what Joe Biden's team plans to change, and what I would do if I was them. And more importantly than what I would do, let's find out what Larry Kudlow would do and where he'll be today. Larry, how rude is it of the president to start his address when you start your show? <laughs> we're getting <laughs> wonderful opening. We're going four to six today. We're going to do the whole two hours and line up a bunch of senators and uh, other smart political and economic commentators. 
Uh, we'll see what he has to say, and then we'll comment on it. I might even have a few thoughts at the beginning of it also. Yeah, <laughs> so he, it's going to be great. Cudlow from four to six. I don't know if people are ready for it. Well, I think for, for one thing, he wants to point out, Larry, he wants to point out that unemployment's under now 4%, that we do have economic growth, uh, and uh, and that I guess he feels as though that America is coming back better than any other country from the pandemic but he is not going to really relish the fact that he was not ready for two variants that help push our country and our economy back, is he? Well, look, I think, you know, what you say is true. The economy is in decent shape uh, in terms of the, you know, real jobs, employment, unemployment. I mean, that's true. And by the way, one surprising thing is how badly he and his team messaged this. I mean, I used to talk about the economy in the middle of 2020 when the, uh, you know, when the uh, pandemic was raging. We were beginning a V-shaped recovery. I used to go out there almost every day and communicate it, uh, and, we'd, and that was our strategy. These guys don't do that. In fact, Brian, they have virtually no communication strategy at all uh, at any given time. Uh, they don't highlight the wins. They rage against the losses. Nobody knows what their messaging is. And that's really one of the fatal flaws of the Biden presidency so far. But, 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 but the biggest problem is inflation. Public enemy number one, uh, consumer prices up 7 percent, producer prices up 10 percent. It's cutting into real wages and family income. So that's, a, you know, the inflation tax is something he's just got to deal with. And uh, a $5 trillion spending bill is not the answer. And that's one reason why his polls have plunged. Do you, have you ever heard a message in modern America of, I need you guys to get back to work? I need people to get off the couch and get back to work. You know, we remember John F. Kennedy came out and said, it's not what you can do for your country. It's not what uh, the country can do for you. It's what you could do for your country. I would love that message because I think I'm most concerned, but you're the economic expert, at labor participation. There's no skin in the game for too many people. Only six of ten are working, right? Uh, Yes, that's true. Um, It's a little more complicated than that, but participation is still lower than it should be. I mean, you really have to use um, the prime working age, uh, 25 to 54. Sure. that's um, roughly 80, what is it, 80, 81 percent are working. You never get much higher than 83 or 84 percent. But those two percentage points are crucial. There's a, I would say there's a couple of million, maybe two, three million people, Brian, that should be back into the labor force and working, and they're not. There are a lot of reasons for that. One of them is the mishandling of these COVID mandates, which was a terrible mistake and backfired. Okay, so all across the board, right? People that didn't get the vaccines, don't want to get the vaccines, and more likely have already had COVID, survived it, and have natural immunity, don't need the vaccines. So that's been the argument, and that's why they're staying home. Plus, listen, uh, on this whole budget debate, right, workfare, which is Joe Manchin's rallying cry, any of these safety net programs and social spending programs should have a work requirement, and they don't. So there's no incentive to go back to work. Folks are staying home because they can collect these uh, federal assistance, you know, welfare and so forth, and 
That's part of Biden's policy problem. That's part of his big government socialist problem. It doesn't pay to work uh, for the last couple percentage points of the labor force. The jobs are there. As you pointed out, the economy is reasonably strong. Uh, Inflation is going to kill it eventually, but for now it's reasonably strong. But not everyone has to work. The incentives aren't there. And Biden doesn't boost that. See, this whole package he's got, uh, they oppose work requirements. Can you imagine that? I mean, 25 years ago, Bill Clinton and Newt Gingrich created welfare reform with workfare. I mean, I don't know how many times in the Oval Office uh, I sat with the president and various senators mm-hmm. and House members, senior people, you know, during committee markups for legislation where Trump insisted on a workfare provision. I remember the farm bill, and we couldn't even get the Republicans to put enough workfare into the farm bill, uh, you know, with respect to food stamps and other nutrition-related programs. They want to expand the child allowance and the child tax credit with no workfare provision. So, uh, I, you know, that goes to the heart of what you're saying. And I think until that's solved, mm. uh, people are going to be very unhappy. We will not live up to our potential. And, and families will not do as well if they're, if they're not working and producing. And if we don't get the productivity, then we're not going to have long-term growth. And we're going to sink back into inflation and stagnation. Larry Kudlow with us. Larry, uh, I know you've done a lot of work to find out what's happening, what's going to happen with the Build Back Better, what's going to happen with the blowing up the filibuster, uh, what's going to happen uh, with voting rights. So you picked up the people that matter most, you, you, Senator Sinema and Senator Manchin. Here's what Senator Manchin, dressed casually, I might add, said yesterday about the vote that's happened today about the filibuster. Cut 24. I just don't know how you break a rule to make a rule and thinking you're doing something is going to. We've never done this. We have never done. I've looked. I've been looking for every precedent I can, every car about. So we've done everything along the lines of with the rules, and I don't know why we can't come together and find a pathway forward. But breaking the rules, there's no checks and balances in this process. Only for the only thing we have is a filibuster. And and the and he's not budging. You've talked to him. I know it's a confidential conversation, but where does the steel in his spine come from? Is he more befuddled about the constant attacks? He doesn't seem to be worried about anything, even though he seems so isolated on the left. Well, look, at he has very strong support in West Virginia. And in fact, Brian, his support, you know, look, Save America killed the bill. And Manchin has been absolutely consistent on this. He's been absolutely consistent on the filibuster. So his numbers in West Virginia, uh, his uh, strong favorables have virtually doubled. And he's up around, I don't know, 60 percent overall. Um, Donald Trump, I think, carried the state by about 70 percent. And people in West Virginia don't want social spending and taxing. And they don't want the Green New Deal. That's a fossil fuel state. So in other words, Manchin has so much support at home. It's very funny uh, what today I read, Bernie Sanders says he's going to primary Manchin, and Manchin's response was, make my day. I just thought that was fabulous. I yeah. mean, nothing could help Joe Manchin more than in West Virginia than an attack by Bernie Sanders. So, you're, you know, Manchin is a tough guy. I've known him a long time. I'm not surprised. Uh, look, he's not a supply sider. 
I mean, he and I would probably have some disagreements on uh, lower tax rates. But when it comes to spending and deficits and inflation, I mean, Manson's probably the only guy in the entire National Democratic Party who understands two things. Number one, more government spending causes inflation. And number two, the public hates it. And he's been spot on. He should run. He should be uh, Biden's Treasury Secretary. Right. He should be Biden's chair of the Council of Economic Advisors. He got the story completely right. He's been right fundamentally, analytically, he's right. And popularly, electorally, he's right. right. So you're not going to move him. So real quick, uh, Larry, if you were trying to help Joe Biden, he called you up and said, Larry, give me a couple of lines to get people excited about my second year in office. What would you tell him to say? Get rid of your senior staff. First thing he should do is replace his uh, chief of staff, his treasury secretary, his head of the uh, my old agency, the National Economic Council. That's point number one. You need more sensible, common sense type people uh, around him all day long. Number two is change your policies. Stop the spending. Stop the inflation. Stop lying. You can't look the public in the eye the way he does and tell them that a $5 trillion spending bill is going to cut inflation. Or you can't just blame poultry, meat packers, exactly. oil companies, right? You can't. By the way, the, you know what the biggest, uh, the biggest uh, businesses in, in Delaware are? Or uh, besides financial transactions, uh, it's meat and poultry. He's going against his own state's interest, for heaven's sake. He needs a thorough overhaul, Brian. I hear you. thorough overhaul. Larry. I I don't see how the hell you do it. Do you think that the the performance of Joe Biden in year one has helped or hurt Donald Trump's decision whether to run again? Well, I think it's helped his popularity immeasurably. Okay, immeasurably. Because uh, the prosperous Trump years uh, look almost calm compared to this, you know, race-baiting Trump years and this high inflation, I mean, Biden years and the high inflation. Regarding uh, running for election, I, you know, I speak to the former president on a regular basis. Um, whenever he asks, I give him help. I write him some memos every now and then. I don't think he knows. I, I mean, 2024 is too far away. He doesn't know yet. The midterms are going to be everything. And one of the things you're going to see tonight, Brian, is what strategy Biden is going to choose for the midterms. Is he going to be mean, bitter, you know, racist, that kind of thing? Or is he actually going to move to the center with a calmer, right. more unified approach? Okay. I'm very interested in his tone tonight, Brian Kilmeade. Okay. Because that's going to tell me about the midterm elections. Right now, Biden is absolutely dead in the water. The Democrats are going to lose both houses, save America, kill the bill, and keep Kill Me alive. <laughs> Larry Kudlow, he's going to provide the incident analysis. He's going to watch the speech with all of us and provide the experts in, in depth and perspective. Host of Kudlow and Four on FBN. Larry, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. Thanks. All right. And thanks for having me on on Monday. When we come back, Martha McCallum joins us in studio. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade.
the fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If the Republicans block cloture on the legislation before us, I will put forward a proposal to change the rules to allow for a talking filibuster on this legislation. Historically, changes to the Senate rules have been necessary to adapt to change circumstances. If Senate Republicans are going to oppose it, they should not be allowed to sit in their office. They got to come down on the floor and defend their opposition to voting rights. Well, that is Chuck Schumer threatening Republicans that they'll have to talk. Martha McCallum, you're in studio, aren't you? I am. Right. You're set to anchor our coverage from four to six, uh, preview. Three to, uh, three to five. How about three to Depends five? Depends on where you live. Right. But yeah, <laughs> three that's to true. five on the East Coast. I, uh, I was brought up on the East Coast, but in my mind, I'm central. Uh, <laughs> but Martha, do you think Republicans would mind talking? To me, I think no. the talking filibuster would be a riot. We'd be back to green eggs and ham Absolutely. with Ted Cruz. No, I don't think they'll mind at all. I think the people who really would rather not have this vote are people like Maggie Hassan in New Hampshire, people like Mark Kelly in Arizona, um, Catherine Cortez Masto in Nevada. They're people who have tough Senate races coming ahead and who would probably be better off if they didn't have to vote on this particular voting reform or whatever you want to call well, it. Well, the first filibuster buster, Yeah, right? absolutely. So – uh, it looks like Mark Kelly, according to, I guess, the paper boy delivered the Arizona newspaper to Eric today, because he says that Mark Kelly has said he is bored blowing up the filibuster. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. Good luck with that in Arizona. He is someone who's going to have um, a competitive race in Arizona, and he's up in 2022. So this is, um, he's you know, but but you know what? You have, you have to pick a lane. <laughs> this is sort of my theme for the day uh, as we look ahead to the speech as well and to the Q&A as well. And um, so I guess Mark Kelly picked his lane. Right. So uh, the guy who also picked his lane is Joe Manchin, Kirsten Sinema. They're not budging. I mean, just no. the audacity just moving forward in the way the Democrats are trying to harass them into doing it. And as I just asked Larry Kudlow, he's like, it's a joke that when they're saying Bernie Sanders will prime, go get, get primary Joe Manchin. Right. Right. What does Bernie Sanders know about West Virginia and Kirsten Cinema? I mean, good luck with that. But, you know, this is this is what I think the president has to look at really closely, because there's a reason that Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin feel feel confident digging in their heels because they feel like they're in the right position politically. And that's also why you have Elizabeth Warren now sort of saying, well, we'd be open to the idea of stripping down parts of BBB and passing them individually. So they want Cinema and Mansion won. No question. This this battle, right? And now you've got the progressives who have been full of bluster and storm and fury, uh, saying, "Well, we're willing to compromise at this point. We're going to maybe go piecemeal on BBB and see what we can get." You know, when we come back, I want to talk a little crime. I want to talk about what's happening in New York in twelve major cities yeah. where homicides have hit all time highs, and that's not a good thing. And attacks on cops are going through the roof. And the president, for some reason, is going to use executive order to get police reform. Nuts. That story with Martha McCallum comes back, I guess, with me. Um. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I've been talking with my friends and, like, we don't really feel very safe either. I always, like, stand against some kind of, like, surface so that no one can, like, push me. And, like, I don't really wear headphones anymore. I try to be not too close to the platform. It's something I've started doing more and more as these incidents have started increasing. I stand near a pole or I stand near the railing, so I have something to hold on to if there's any kind of attack. 
And that's uh, these are women sp- speaking in New York about subways. And they say, you know, I no longer feel safe. Flat out, don't feel safe. Why would you? I mean, I'm on the subway at least three times a week. I'm on Long Island Railroad five times a week, unless I'm doing some type of shoot that I'm uh, working late. Martha McCallum here. Uh, Martha, these women are not talking to them from some uh, in a, a gang-infested area. It's midtown New York City. That's where they're doing these interviews. People are really concerned. Twelve major cities have hit burglaries, robberies, and homicide highs. You know, this is where I feel the president needs to understand when he comes out and talks to people. He needs to meet people where they are. And when people say, well, where should he pivot? You know, where should he pivot this time? You don't need to pivot. You need to open your eyes and look at the moment that you're living in. And the issues that are before you, and this is one of them in cities across this country, this is happening in my small town in New Jersey where we have a tremendous amount of car theft, much more brazen theft than we've ever seen before. Carjacking. Well, that's that's carjackings are rising in New York and Philadelphia, so I expect it's going to be in the suburbs where I live soon because you know what? When the car's running, it's a lot easier to jump in it and steal it. So, you know, that, that and there's no repercussions. So they have a huge business just stealing these cars and putting them on containers and selling them um, overseas. It's, you know, it, it's, it's a racket. Because you it's, can't it's get used warfare. cars anymore. No, this is true. Right. Uh, so I listen to these women talk crime, and with their, I'm wondering if this dovetails with another goal from the Joe Biden people. And one of them was to make him seem more empathetic and go right to the voters. They seem to think that he bonds well with the voters. That's one thing you would do. You know, you can't really do subway policy, but you can understand commuters trying to make a living, trying to get home, and the mentally ill throwing the, and the evil throwing them on the tracks. Absolutely. And that, that's what I'm saying. That's what you, you need to open your eyes. You wonder why you're losing support among Hispanic and black voters, and it's been going on for the last several years. I mean, Joe Biden secured 63% of the Hispanic vote. Now he has a 28% approval number. That That's an enormous drop with Hispanic voters. So when you look at the, the cities, you look at where a lot of people of all different backgrounds live, they do not feel safe. They want police to protect them, mm-hmm. and they want to know that when people do get caught, they're actually going to be off the street for more than 12 hours. Right, and when you talk about what the president's got to be concerned about, and that is... Blue-collar Hispanic voters. He lost blue-collar white voters already, blue-collar Hispanic voters. But not only – they're not just saying I'm I'm not supporting you. They're saying I'm supporting Republicans. And do you remember, Martha, you would be covering this stuff live. The the conventional thought was if you say bad things about the border, I want to put a fence and wall up, you don't like Hispanic people, you're losing the Hispanic vote. That was part of the autopsy Mm -hmm. that uh, Reince Priebus put together. That's right. Look, don't don't talk mean about the border. And I thought, what does that have to do with it? If you're here legally, you should be upset by that. It turns out they're upset by that. They're upset by what's happening right now. Well, here's what happens with every immigrant group that comes to the United States, right? They come and they're the Irish or they're the Italian or, you know, but then then they become Americans and Hispanics and and minorities are they're American voters now. Okay, that that delineation is not what it was before. Democrats cannot count on that vote. And also it just flies in the face of this idea that, oh, you know, everybody who comes across the border because we let them come across the border is going to be a Democrat voter. Because what you're finding is that the larger population of Hispanic voters are, are siphoning off the top because they're they're Americans and they want people to live by the rules and they want to have a safe community to live in and they don't want to be treated like a, you know, an identity group anymore. So Saturday after this uh, woman uh, gets pushed on the subway horrifically at 40 years old and there was a big candlelight vigil last night, uh, 
Eric Adams goes up and says, I, I don't want you guys to be dissuaded by this. Uh, the subways are safe. Yeah. So he tried to amend that, and you tell me if you think he was effective. Here's a little of the speech, cut 13. Yes, we must deal with crime in real time. But yes, there's some things that we can do every day. By saying hello, good morning, and interacting with each other. And no longer allowing our city to be an isolated city where we lean into the places we disagree instead of the places we agree. This is New York City, the most diverse place on the globe. It's time for us to come together as a city and not allow these issues to take place. My heart goes out to this family. I ask the press to please allow the family to mourn, give them the privacy that they deserve, and I ask all of us to see why we're members of the greatest race alive, and that's the human race. So a little of his uh, remarks yesterday, and then he went on to say that when I'm on the subway, I was scared. He goes, my first day as mayor, I went on the subway, I was scared, I heard the screaming, I heard the yelling, I saw the homeless. Yeah. And that's dramatically different than what he said on Saturday. Yeah, you know, this is sort of a common um, line of thinking among certain groups in New York City and in other cities, I imagine, as well, that that it's just a perception. The numbers haven't really changed that much. Crime isn't that bad. When it happens to you, you yeah. I mean, when you lose your 40-year-old daughter, mother, sister, and when you look at what happened in California when your 24-year-old graduate student daughter works in a um, in a furniture store and someone these are these people deserve they they not deserve they need to be in an institution they need to be somewhere where people can care for them this man in New York his own sister said she couldn't believe that he was allowed out on the street because she was he, she knew that he was clearly a threat couple that with the other stories that we have covered very closely the 21 children under the age of 21 in New York who've been murdered the two teenage boys in Chicago who've been murdered so this is not just a story for you know um, you know, for these two women. This is a story for all of these young people who have lost their lives in a very unsafe environment. What Eric Adams needs to say is, I'm a former cop. I'm a former transit cop. You were going to make these subways safe. End of story. And I will not come back to you until I have until you are seeing an increased presence of police down there when people are prosecuted for the crimes that they commit and when you feel markedly safer. And he should set a deadline. Give me five months to make you feel safer in New York City and watch me. Right. Now the train's about to go up. Yesterday I had to wait. Usually I'll hop on on 42nd Street, not get the letter, but I'll get the number trains. And um, yesterday I waited. The best thing is because when they get there quick and you miss a train, you got to wait 40 minutes. So I'm trying to get there quick, and I had to wait seven minutes for a train, which is death. So yeah. I'm waiting, and they're starting to up, uh, upgrade the lines again to where they were which will get more people down there, but not unless people feel safe. Now he's telling people who are walking the beat, you're, you're responsible for what's beneath your feet, which is tough. That's why you have transit cops. You can't tell people to watch, you know, good, you know, have a, 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 you know, what do they have, a flat screen down there that's supposed to monitor both places or a ring doorbell to watch the station while they're above? So the other thing I want to talk to you about, and I don't know where you stand. I don't know what's going on with the homeless situation. I know wherever city I go and went to 18 separate cities on my book tour, everywhere I go, there's a homeless issue. It's unbelievable. Everywhere I go. I used to say, well, California and mm-hmm. Florida because it's so nice. No, it's everywhere. North Carolina, South Carolina. Uh, where was I? In uh, Dayton. Um, everywhere I go, there's a homeless situation. I want you to hear what Tucker said last night, Cut 21. If you live in the United States, you may have noticed that many of our public spaces have become permanent homeless encampments. 
You see trash-filled tents blotting out what were once green and tidy public parks. You step over vagrants drooling unconscious on the steps of train stations on the way to work. You watch as junkies smoke meth without any embarrassment at all and then yell at pedestrians on the sidewalk, maybe at your children. Everywhere, at every intersection, there are beggars. It's what we used to imagine India was like, but this is not Calcutta. This is New York and San Francisco and Austin, Texas. So the question is, what happened? And the short answer is, our leaders did this. No matter what they tell you, homelessness is not an act of God. It's not the result of economic collapse in this country. America did not run out of housing. Instead, a determined group of well-funded ideologues decided to make it easier to live on the streets in this country while doing drugs. It's a subculture. You see these tents everywhere, right? It's unbelievable. In, in New York City, in Washington, D.C., in Austin, as Tucker points out, in Miami, in a lot of places, um, there are just tent cities everywhere. And, and it's hard for me to explain to my kids who are you know, in their early 20s that this isn't what it used to look like in cities. And they live in cities now. And they're like, is this, is this normal? No, it's not normal. It is not normal. And it reminds me of kind of what New York was like in the 70s when you had a crack cocaine epidemic that was um, devastating to this city and other cities across the country. But Tucker's right. It, it's, it's allowed to happen. And the other huge mistake that we have made is to deinstitutionalize mental health to say, well, we want everyone on medication and mainstreamed out in society. We'll tell that to the family of the 24-year-old in California and the 40-year-old in New York because it's not working. People don't take their medication. We need well-run medical mental health institutions in these cities that can house people and that can care for them. How come these mayors aren't embarrassed by this? How come they don't get up in the morning and say, how do I fix this? They get more and more money to keep it. Gee, well, that's a good question. That's a good question. And and that and the money is what's always the answer. We throw more money at the problem. I looked at Merrick Garland's comments because I'm thinking, where's the DOJ on this? Where is Merrick Garland out talking every day about what's going on in our cities and how the federal government can can aid local law enforcement to help, right? And so I went back. They did this $1.6 billion program where they basically sent money to different cities, Right. That's not what's going to work. What's going to work is building the confidence of law enforcement, backing law enforcement, hiring more cops, hiring more police officers and and having their back is what's going to start to make a difference. And of course, you have to do the prosecution side of the equation as well. I don't know why I didn't understand why Bill de Blasio wasn't ashamed of what had happened to the city on his watch. And I don't understand why these mayors don't feel a personal responsibility for the deteriorating safety and the and the condition. Doesn't anyone care anymore about the fact that the, the park looks terrible, that it should be pristine, it should be beautiful? That's why these parks were created by people who had a lot of foresight um, 150 years ago who said, let's carve a park in the middle of this city so people have a place to go, not so that people could live there in tents, you know, shooting right. up drugs. But it's happening everywhere. So you could, you could tell the cops, I need that cleaned out. They will clean it out. I need all these tents done and all these people out. I need the garbage taken Absolutely. up. You work with sanitation and they'll do it. But right now there is no political will to do that, which blows me away because they don't vote. So usually they're, they're, they're hostage to voters. So what, you, you really think these I people think are voting? I think there's also a laziness. I think there's a laziness. A subculture? People don't want to participate no, in the country? not of the people who are in the tents, of the, of the leadership. I think it's like, oh, you know, that would be a lot of work to figure that out. 
Yeah, I, I really do. I, I can't understand anything else. You know, when, when you have a job and your job is to create a safe city, that's your number one responsibility, no matter whether what leadership position you're yeah. in government, is to keep people safe. With the president, it's going to be national security. On the local level, it's going to be to keep your city safe. So check that box before you start worrying about anything else. Absolutely. Martha McCallum's going to stick around and give us an exclusive preview into her show. You kind of did already, but that's, so that's not really an accurate tease. Well, You'll do more. it again? There's oh, more you, to know. You, oh, you have more? I do. And then we'll find out if she needs to know more. The answer might be no. She knows enough. (laughs) Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Why do you find it a bit difficult to listen to the early stuff? Uh, it's the voice. The band sound incredible. I just I found the, the voice very strained and not macho. And my Irish macho was kind of strained by that. It has been. Uh, the big discovery for me was listening to the Ramones and hearing the beautiful kind of sound of Joey Ramone and realizing I didn't have to be, be that rock and roll singer. But I've only, I only became a, a singer, like recently. Maybe it hasn't happened yet. Well, that is uh, Bono, and I think it's trying to find out if Martha needs to know more. More to know. He says he's embarrassed. You two lead frontman, embarrassed by you two in the band, almost everything he's done. Embarrassed looking back. How do you? I, I feel for the fans. Like, why is he saying that? I have I have no idea why he's in. I don't know. He's in touch with his inner child or something, and he feels like I'm embarrassed. I don't. I wasn't a good singer. I don't. I'm embarrassed by some of the lyrics. It's unfinished. Did you like you two? I love you two. Right. And you know what? There's nobody better in concert. I love a good you two concert. So, but I do think you know all of us. It, I mean, maybe it's just going through sort of like a midlife crisis because when you look back at the stuff that you did when you were younger, you think oh, that was terrible, you know, and you're embarrassed by it. So he's just sharing that with everybody. But mm. I think he knows how, how... I think he knows. Really? It's false? I think he knows that it's... No, I, I, I think that, you know, in time, he will look back on it in a different way. He's, he was appearing on Hollywood Reporters uh, Awards uh, Chatter... Uh, the Chatter... The Hollywood Reporters Awards Chatter podcast mm-hmm. alongside bandmate Edge. Uh, bandmate said they both agree that you two made them cringe. <laughs> like I, I think they're just being cool. You know, I don't know. They're just I, being cool. See, I don't even get it. Cool it's, and artistic. I, I don't even know how to be a rock star. You know star. what? It's all trash, right? Like a painter who says, you know, this, this, like Van Gogh goes, you know, it's garbage. Everything I did is garbage. That's, right. that's all that is. Right. That's why I'm never going to be a painter. Next, <laughs> Britney Spears issues a cease and desist order against her sister Jamie. She's got a real problem with this. Quote: We write with some hesitation <laughs> because the last thing Britney wants is to bring more attention uh, uh, to your ill-timed book and its misleading, outrageous claims. I guess she's writing a book and she doesn't like what's in it. Quote, you all, uh, you of all people know the abuse and wrongdoing Britney had to endure during the conservatorship after initially growing up with a ruinous alcoholic father. So they're all killing each other now. Who do you side with if you had to take Jamie or Britney? Oh, gee. I, well, I'm going to go with Britney on that one. But right. I, I just think, you know, when I look at families like this, I just say, why don't you keep it with in your own family and try to mend your fences rather than splashing it all over everywhere. And boy, isn't Britney splashing a lot of stuff all over when you look at that <laughs> she is. Instagram. Oh, but boy. She's got really going to sell out like the Meadowlands with 75,000 oh, people. Right? No, I, I I would definitely, in all of that whole group, I would side with Britney because she's, the, you know, she's the one with the talent. Right. 
But how soon? Everybody we, else is riding on it. Right. How soon do we see her in a barbershop getting her hair cut again? I mean, at this rate. Mm-hmm. I feel bad for her. No, she has she has issues. I hope she can straighten them out. She's I really married do. now with four kids. No, I, I I I've always thought that Britney would come out strong in the end. Really, I did not. I know. Know that. I always did. Even you when bet. she was like shaving her head and smashing the windshield, I was like, she'll be this fine. is a tough stage she's going through, but. Um, ultimately, I think she'll be okay. We have talked so often. She'll be a so really often. cool, like, 50 year I don't know if air, you never t- voiced to me your optimism <laughs> about Britney. Well, there you go. See, there's a lot you don't know. Next, Cracker Barrel ordered to pay $9.4 million after a man was served sanitizer instead of water. Oh. His name was William Cronin. Oh, no. Uh, and he'll receive just $750,000 from the restaurant how chain. How much of it did he drink? Like, uh, how long did it take him to figure out that it was sanitizer? Please, don't be so skeptical. He developed gastrointestinal issues after a waitress accident where he filled his water glass, which he thought was water but turned out to be a mixture of water and eco santa commercial grade bleach remember that's what trump wanted to do he wanted us all to drink bleach well here you here you have it it does not work i had it in my mouth up until Uh, and then he told me it was probably not a good idea uh meanwhile no label on it bad label on that bottle so so you hear about this next you hear about in china athletes are being urged to use burner phones as a watchdog group uh warns that china is going to be tapping their phones. What about all these? What do you think? Do you think NBC is actually going to do investigative journalism on the Holocaust-like condition for the Uyghurs? Was happening in Hong Kong? The fear in Taiwan? Do you? Does anyone if, if really Bob, think if that? If Bob Costas Does was there, know? he would have to. He would do it. Absolutely. No, I mean it takes guts, and I I do not expect it. Um, I hope I hope I'm wrong. Cool runnings. Jamaica will send a four-man bobsled team. All right. Literally. Remember? Yay! Of it's course I remember. It's been 25 years. Let's see if they can win it all. Uh, Martha, we're going to see you three. See you three. Thanks, Brian. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.